one and all. Welcome to New Peninsula Church Online. We are happy to have you. I hope you've been having a fabulous weekend thus far. Uh, Maybe getting out a little bit further, maybe seeing one or two more people. Um, So I hope you're really having a great time, but also get ready and get settled into church this morning. Uh, Maybe, you know, put your feet up on the couch, make a cup of tea, light a candle, get some flowers, settle down. Get yourselves tuned in, focused on God, and we're going to enter into a time of worship together. In 2010, LeBron James was one of the best basketballers in the world, a champion player, and he was involved in an enormous transfer from his hometown of Cleveland across to Miami. Now, Miami paid uh, what is still an astounding amount of money, over $100 million, in order to procure LeBron James' services. Uh, And LeBron went to Miami, but for the the early days, as they they put together some very skillful players on this team, but in the early days, uh, they weren't working very well together as a team. It wasn't really working that well. Now, Pat Riley was the president of the Miami Heat, and previous to that, he'd been a championship-winning coach for LA Lakers and other teams as well. Now, Pat Riley really drilled it into LeBron James, uh, this saying, that he needed to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, in basketball, in an NBA, that is all about winning. And so what Riley was really saying is, LeBron, you need to keep the main thing the main thing. The focus here is on winning. In order to win, you need to have team success. It's not actually about being a champion player. It's about being part of a champion team. Now, LeBron took these words to heart. And he's now arguably the greatest ever basketball, having played, greatest ever basketballer, having played on multiple championship winning teams. Now, some might argue about that, actually. They might make a suggestion around Michael Jordan, and I'm more than happy for you to make that point. But you get what I'm going. A person who was previously just a great player in the last 10 years has become a player who's won championships because he's been part of champion winning teams. Keeping the main thing the main thing. Of course, Riley got this quote from the author Stephen Covey. Now, Stephen Covey had a slightly longer version of this quote, and that is, uh, the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. And I guess when I look at this quote and I consider where we're at today in our passage in Colossians, as we're continuing on in this Colossians series, this is really what this passage is all about for us as followers of Jesus and for the church. We need to keep the main thing, the main thing. Let's have a look at the passage we're in today. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to 29. And it says this. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I will fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of the glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone 
with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So the main thing and keeping the main thing the main thing, it's actually all about the gospel. It's all about the good news of Jesus. It's all about making known the mystery, what is for many a mystery, the good news of Jesus having come and lived amongst us and taken, allowed himself to die on a cross in order that we might have forgiveness and relationship with him, raising again, defeating death. There's so much good news that we can be sharing with others. And we've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. What's really interesting about this passage, though, is that, that in, in it, Paul is sort of doing, a, I guess, a, a, a speaking some truths, but, but doing some reversing. He's, he's switching things around a little bit. And I guess this is often how these things play out, especially when we're coming alongside and looking to follow Jesus in his activity and work in the world today. So I think there's three little truths, three little, I guess, switches or reverses that we can look at today that help us understand this passage and help us understand what does it look like for us to be keeping the main thing, the main thing. The first one is this, what others intend for bad, God uses for good. In verse 24, Paul says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. You see, Paul has been put into jail by the Romans. And the Roman authorities thought that by putting Paul into jail, the leader of this new movement that they saw as in opposition to the emperor of Rome, they thought by putting him in jail that they would quash it, they would calm it down, they would get rid of it, they would deal with it. And Paul's actually saying, no, no, I'm more than happy to take this heat. I'm more than happy to to be put in jail. I'm more than happy for the focus to be on me here. Because when that's the case, it allows you, the Colossian church, to go about what God has called you to do. And to do so in relative freedom. What others intend for bad, God uses for good. Just this week, I came across an article in the Al Jazeera news, uh, online news network. And it was an article about Myanmar. And I've got some photos that I'll show up on the screen now. And, and the military junta in Myanmar are going around and persecuting Christian churches at the moment. And you can see here quite, some quite recent uh, work, demolition work done, d- destructive work done on some local churches. And the Christians in Myanmar are starting to really endure and suffer a, a terrible persecution, as if the poverty and the situation around COVID wasn't bad enough. They're now being persecuted for their faith as well. It's a really challenging situation and we as a church through our partnership with Oz Burma are looking for ways and exploring ways in which we can help alleviate some of this suffering and also support those people in Myanmar, those people of faith who are already doing an amazing work here. And though it is a desperate situation and in many ways seems to be a situation that is bereft of hope, we can take some encouragement here. As we look at what happened in the early church and we look at what's happened in the history of the church since, we can see that often the result of persecution was not getting rid of the church, was not putting it down, not stopping. In fact, the opposite happened. The church grew. More people came to know Jesus. 
Now we see this in the book of Acts when the very first Christian martyr is stoned to death and the, the, the disciples are, are then uh, uh, scattered all over the Judean countryside and yet the church grows, it pops up everywhere, all these new signs of growth. We've seen it through the history of the church, especially in more recent times and we consider the church of Iran and the church in China and we're seeing the explosive growth that's happening there in the midst of persecution. And when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Myanmar, I want to really encourage you to be praying for them. That this would be their story too. You see, this story is not finished. They're just enduring that persecution at the moment. And we're seeing little signs of life, little signs of hope there. But it hasn't yet uh, come through in terms of explosive and amazing growth of the church. And yet that could be the result here. Uh, let's be partnering with our brothers and sisters in Myanmar through prayer at this time. Because we know that what others intend for bad, God can always use for good. Second truth that we want to explore out of this passage is that what, once, what was once a mystery becomes clear. What was once a mystery becomes clear. And in verse 27 and 28, it says this, To them God has chosen to make known among you, the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And there's a sense here where there's this, this mystery, isn't there? And we often come across this in our own daily walk and, and interactions with our neighbours and our friends. And, and the reality is that many in our society see the good news of Jesus as a bit of a mystery. Some are hostile, some and many are perhaps ambivalent towards it, but, but it is a bit of a mystery and there's a challenge in that for us in how do we make the good news of Jesus clear in those situations and contexts. And there's a couple of little clues in this passage. The first one is that we see again this phrase, in Christ, in Christ. And so there's this idea again that Paul's coming at 17 times in Colossians, more than 200 times in his writing of being in Christ, of clothing ourselves with him, of growing towards him, of maturing in him. This happens not on a once off occurrence. It's time invested over weeks, months and years. And we come to know Christ better. We see and encounter him more in our lives through his word, through prayer, through, through gathering with other Christians and, and bouncing off and rubbing up against them. Socrates once said, I only know one thing, and that is this, that I know nothing. Now, now, this little witticism, I, I guess, is not completely true. Socrates is known as, as one of the wisest men that have ever lived, actually. And so it's clear that he knew a bit more than, than that. But, but what he was saying is that uh, there has to be a, a certain posture if we're going to grow, if we're going to learn. And out of that posture comes a, a humility, an awareness that we don't know it all, and a curiosity, a desire to learn more and to grow. And that. And I think this is actually really crucial when it comes to the expression of our faith. For those of us that have been a Christian for some time and have followed Jesus for, for years, maybe decades, it can be very easy to get into a bit of a comfort zone around that to be really sure of the things we know. And yet there is always new things to discover about God. And so I want to encourage us today to, to have that posture of humility, of curiosity, of, of wonder even. 
when it comes towards our relationship with Jesus. You see, that's part of what being in Christ means. And I think when people observe that curiosity, that humility, that wonder, I think what people will see is a mystery that is starting to become clear for them. Third thing that I think we can take out of this passage is that when we run on empty, God's power is most at work. It's when we run on empty that God's power is most at work. In verse 29, it says, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Now, this week, we've come out of lockdown. Woohoo! It's good news, isn't it? And, and I don't know about you, but, but I'm certainly over the course of this weekend enjoying catching up with some family and friends that I haven't seen for a long time. It's really good. It's cool. But there's one downside to it, actually. And that's the cost of fuel. Have you seen how expensive fuel is at the moment? It's around about $1.80 a litre. It's crazy stuff. And we all know that when we're putting fuel into our cars or our, our motorbikes, our trucks, whatever vehicle we've got, we know that they need fuel to run. And if they run out of fuel, if they get empty, they're just going to stop running. They won't work anymore. Well, Paul is actually switching things around a bit here. He's actually saying for us, in terms of our own uh, relationship with Jesus, in terms of following him, in terms of what he's doing in the world around us, it's actually a bit better if we are on empty. Because something happens when we're on empty. There's something happens. That's when God's power can work through us, when it's less of us, when it's more of him. This verse at the end of this first chapter of Colossians reminds me of Paul's writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he's talking about the thorn in his flesh. He's, he's saying three times, I asked God to take that away from me. I wanted it gone and God wouldn't take it away from me. Now, we don't know what the thorn is, but Paul is, is talking about just the suffering that we had to endure as a result of the thorn, the difficulty and the challenge that that brought him. And he finishes this little passage with this line. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power made perfect in weakness. And sometimes I think when it comes to keeping the main thing, the main thing, we, we can become a bit overwhelmed, fearful even. What, what role can I play in this activity of Jesus in our world, of making him known, of making the mystery of the gospel clear to those around me? I'm not sure God might use me that way. I don't know if he has in the past. I, I stumble over my words. I feel a bit inadequate and a bit awkward. I just wouldn't know what to say. And I think the promise of this passage is that it's actually in that space that God's able to use you the most because it's not actually about you, is it? It's about God's power operating through you. It's about the empty vessel that he can use in that way. So in finishing up, this great mystery that needs to be made known, the good news of Jesus, what is it all about? It's about grace for the glum. It's about opportunity for the oppressed. It's about dignity for the downtrodden. 
It's about God being made known. Hope for the hopeless. Love for the lost. Salvation for every soul. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you that you are already at work in our families, in our neighbourhoods, in our places of work, in the community groups that we're a part of. You're already at work there. We know that. You're already at work wooing people towards you. And Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to how you are at work and how we can best partner with you in nurturing and encouraging that work that's already happening. Lord, though we at times feel inadequate and even unworthy to be your partners in this work, I pray that you would use us, especially as our society starts to open up a bit and we get to interact with people more frequently in that in-person, face-to-face gathering, which is just going to be so great. Use us, we pray. Use us to grow your kingdom in Rosebud in Mount Martha, in Mornington, in, the, in the, the peninsula, in Victoria, in Australia, and even beyond. Use us, we pray. May people come to know the hope that we have found in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And that's a wrap for church today, guys. I hope you've really had a great time worshipping and coming around the word together as a community uh, in this time of online. Uh, But you know what? As the service service finishes, but church continues. So give someone a call. Go for a walk with someone from church or meet up within the park or catch up some way, somehow. Uh, Now that we have a little bit more freedom than we did before, have a great weekend and have a great week next week too. See you, everybody.